Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Daily French Show. I am your host, Nicholas Larmer, and I'm coming to you from a dark room because I'm currently being a load shed um, because, you know, now that the rugby is over, we're going to get load shed again. Uh, and B, there is a very dark storm cloud hanging over Johannesburg, so I am currently in the dark. So I apologize for that if you are watching me, but if you're listening on audio only, then you are spared seeing my ghostly visage sticking out of the darkness. Uh, I'm joined today by Mr. Michael Morris. Michael, how are you doing? Very well, thank you. I'm pleased to say from a, a sunny and pretty well-lit um, Cape Town, all commiserations to you. <laughs> and we also have Mr. Terence Corrigan. Terence, how are you? I'm okay. It's still pretty cold here, but at least we have power for the moment. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Right, so let's start off for a change with the good news. And that is, of course, that South Africa won the Rugby World Cup final on Saturday night uh, in once again one of these horrifically close, torturous, painful, close games where we won by one point, making that the third in the row um, that we won by one point, which was absolute madness. But anyway, um, let's. But we should probably talk about the sort of social impact of all of this, which has been quite fascinating to watch. And that is, I think, particularly since 2019, but, but you know, kind of beginning all the way back in 1995, of course, is that the Springboks and South African rugby have become this kind of epitome of South African excellence. They've become this kind of symbol of what South Africa can really do when it's, you know, reaches for all of its people's talents and it works hard to, to develop infrastructure and look after people and train skills and all that kind of stuff. Um, I know re uh, a lot of credit has been given to Rassi Erasmus for developing um, or, or taking part in developing and rugby in general in developing poor schools and scholarships and, and kids from, you know, kind of rural areas who are then able to get rugby scholarships, get into the system and become professional rugby players. I believe our captain is a beneficiary of that uh, system. And as a result, um, South Africans from all walks of life, whereas once the Springboks were seen as being this uh, thing that, you know, was for white South Africans and it was associated with apartheid and yeah. people who were anti-apartheid would cheer for the All Blacks during rugby matches, that kind of stuff. That really seems to have fallen away in a big way and that South Africans from all races, classes, religions, cultures, locations in the country were cheering on the Springboks on Saturday and the whole country went crazy when it won. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, one thing that kind of struck me was I was looking at social media, uh, Twitter slash X, and I was watching people who are sort of vocal EFF supporters cheering on uh, Eben Etzebeth and you know these sort of like rugby players. And uh, uh, when we beat France, one of these kind of EFF types posted a photo of two of our white uh, rugby players celebrating and then said, the colonizers have been pushed out of the World Cup. And what he meant by that was the French had been defeated. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's, it, is, it is, I think, and Michael, you made this point in our pre-show discussion. It really is kind of a symbol of what the IRR's polls of South Africans show, which is that despite all of the heated rhetoric, despite our history of racial antagonism and oppression and all this stuff that actually at the end of the day south africans are much more keen to work together and to live together peacefully um across whatever lines you might want to draw between them uh, michael what do you make of this 
Mm, mm. And in particular, I mean, my attention was drawn by a BBC story this morning. I, th I see it's actually already dropped off the off the the, the, um, the landing page, but it was very prominently displayed. Um, South Africa Rugby World Cup: The Springboks give hope to a troubled nation, and in a sense. I think that's true. Um, one of the things worth saying is that you know things are really, really bad when when a win by a national sports team in an international event is cast as, as you know in this uh, in this um, in, in this context, cast in these terms as having the, the the possibility of having a sort of national impact on on the political and economic uh, trajectory of an entire country. But a few things are worth uh, pointing out, and and, and you, you've alluded to this. Right beneath the headline of this particular story is a, a photograph of a, of a packed uh, Bree Street, one of the main streets in central Cape Town, uh, with a crowd of South Africans, it's the best way of describing it, of every possible hue and every possible uh, age and background. There's a, I can see a, a gogo in there in the background. There's a young woman on somebody's shoulders in the foreground. All kinds of people, they're just ordinary, uh, ordinarily happy South Africans who are pleased with um, with the with the result, it's a, clearly uh, a picture which has just been taken just as the as the game was won. Uh, uh, certainly, a, a knife, a, a nail biting, a nail biting finish there, as with all the all the World Cup games. But the key thing, as we were saying, is that the one organisation is completely unsurprised by this spontaneous expression of bonhomie and togetherness is, in fact, the Institute of Race Relations, and that is simply because. For a long time, more than 10 years now, we've been tracking popular opinion, we've been polling South Africans, we've been asking them pointed questions about who they are, what they think, what they want. Uh, and the one thing that keeps coming through all of these results, um, all of these survey findings, is the very simple idea that most people regard themselves as South Africans, they're citizens, and they see all other citizens as being part of their society, and their success they regard as, as their own success too, that there's the sense that as a country, we will only succeed if we're all succeeding together, that we don't need to be sectarian, we don't need to be racial, we don't need to have all these nationalistic uh, uh, impulses and, and policies that seek to advance one or the other above anyone else. We just need to succeed as, as a country. Um, this photograph from the BBC, to me, is a perfect reflection of exactly that. Um, as indeed is the world's perception that you know the, the box have been uh, celebrated in 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 this extraordinary way. So I think yeah, all around a, a very wonderful indication of who we are as a society, what we really think, and uh, how given half the chance, if we could just you know clear away the obstacles, we can actually achieve remarkable things. So. Uh... It was interesting watching because I was watching once again on on SABC um, the the, uh, the the commentary and the after match meeting and that kind of stuff, and uh, their expert they had on for the sort of after match discussions was um, former Springbok coach and current good MPL um, uh, good party that is uh, Peter De Villiers, who said and I think. This is quite interesting because it reflects, you know, so much of, of, of what so many people have said, which is that, uh, you know, South Africans were losing a hope on a lot of fronts, so we really needed this. And, mm. uh, you know, I like what you say, Michael, you know, this doesn't really fix anything in the country. Yeah. <laughs> but there is something kind of interesting psychologically about how mm. everyone just sort of seems in a sort of better mood. Um, at least I've noticed yeah. that in the last couple of days. 
Uh, Terence, what do you make of all this? I saw um, President Ramaphosa was there and he was very happy to have a picture of himself holding the cup amongst the team um, and, and looking very pleased uh, with himself. But, uh, you know, I think the fact that people are so, we're so desperate for this win are kind of in this like psychological, psychic way, um, perhaps suggests that his presidency is not going that well. Well, see, one of our one of our um, our viewers said so much. Little Hobbit rushing onto the field. Please do not insult hobbits like that. Hobbits saved Middle <laughs> Earth. You know they were very resilient to the power of the ring. They did not succumb to it. I think there's there's all the pro we can do about Lord of the Rings, the template for understanding South Africa. But yes, um, I think that 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 president from opposer is uh, this this actually parallels i think um uh Tom and becky towards the end of his term desperately seeking some sort of validation from wherever it was to be had in his case funnily enough it was also you know the rugby world cup um a sport that as far as i can tell you never taken any real interest in oh. um but yeah, for me, I think that uh, there's 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 a little history lesson here. South Africa and New Zealand have a long uh, have a long term uh, long term sporting rivalry, and I think at three sort of pivotal well two pivotal moments, New, Ze uh, New Zealand has been with South Africa on the sports field where something profound happened. The first I'd say was 1981, where the, I think it was the last major Springbok uh, Springbok tour before mm. the sports. <clears throat> And what hit South Africans particularly hard there was that they could write off opposition amongst English fans as being all decadent welfare creeps and, you know, Australians all, uh, you know, <laughs> just descended from convicts. But the New Zealanders were seen as people like like us white South Africans. Mm. And the frosty reception that um, uh, that South Africa received there really shook a lot of uh, shook a lot of worldviews. Um, I understand it was hugely divisive in New Zealand as well. Uh, the other one was uh, what was the 90s, uh, 90s uh, five World Cup, uh, the one where um, uh, yeah, where, where President Mandela dressed up in a Springbok jersey. That was, um, uh, in a way, I think for many people, that was that was a moment where, in, in a symbolic sense, South Africa came of age, where the, the former political prisoner, you know, could. Um, uh, uh, could 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 mount the stage with this incredibly symbolically important um, uh, uh, you know event uh, appealing at that stage I think still very much to 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 to, to a white population. Uh, I remember the, <clears throat> what any one two uh, black players in the, uh, uh, in that squad. And now we we we've um, uh, we've met New Zealand and bested them again. But South Africa is in a far less hopeful space, uh, where the pop, where we we're not just politicians, but the, the the public at large is grasping for whatever it can find. I think, in a way, the New Zealand players will go back to a to a stable, successful country, and you know whatever uh, whatever future may may await them, you know, in commerce or in broadcasting or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, we come home to uh, a society in deep deep crisis. You know, my a piece on the Daily Friend today, which everyone should read, of course, uh, points mm -hmm. out there are um, uh, that, that 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 we have corporations uh, fixing potholes and branding them. Uh, it's great that we have corporations that can do that. It's even better that we have potholes being fixed. But there, it says something about the state of the country where, <laughs> where, where a corporation wants to brand the pothole it fixed. <laughs> yeah, I think I think exactly on that last point, it shows that South African society is sort of more innovative and resilient 
um, than our state could ever hope to be. And mm. uh, this is um, this is something that, in particular, as as you know, uh, Terence's uh, the title of his piece, I think, alludes to, is that um, this is something that's freaked out former President Thabo Mbeki, who thinks that you know the the fact that society is able to step into this gap that's being left by the state uh, is a terrible thing because it means that the counter revolutionaries might overtake the government and destroy the project of national democratic revolution. Uh, which uh, one then really does have to answer the question of if national democratic revolution, why is national democratic revolution worth preserving at the cost of so many terrible things? Uh, if people are willing to step into that space, um, Michael, any final thoughts mm. on yeah. this one? Mm. I think two things uh, just to pick up on issues that you both raised. Um, the other thing is often struck me, Terence, about the about the All Blacks. Um, in the period, sort of, I, I'm not a great rugby follower, to be perfectly honest, but I'm certainly conscious of this. But before perhaps what 2019 ish, thereabouts, um, the, in, certainly here in the Western Cape, there was always this great, uh, almost kind of internal contest in, in, in many people, this conflict that they felt between supporting when it came to the All Blacks, supporting the Springboks or supporting the All Blacks, and was always seen the All Blacks. To, to support them was was to, to to register a complaint against everything that the old South African rugby represented and the old South Africa represented. It was no s normal sport in an abnormal society. I don't know if you remember that slogan from mm. the from the the active you know the activism of the seventies and eighties. It was all of that, and and it's quite remarkable that that has actually simply evaporated. I'm sure there are still some who hugely admire the All Blacks, as I'm sure any good rugby supporter will admire any good rugby playing. But I think that sentiment has 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 evaporated. And the, the other thing, to come back to something you said right at the beginning, uh, Nicholas, was, the, the, and we were chatting about it in the family at the weekend, the, the remarkable, both of you actually touched on this, the remarkable success that South African rugby, and they, I think they deserve credit for this, have achieved in overcoming what in 2010, for instance, seemed to be an, an unbridgeable abyss. It was people would, you know, you had the sense that ordinary South Africans right across the country could never support this organization that was, you know, seemingly uh, uh, attached to the apartheid past. It had the same mindset. It had all, all this stuff. There were all the all the, um, the the cliches and the and the kind of trite interpretations of our of our political scene were all it kind of stuck onto SA rugby. SA rugby was the one thing. It was a bit like a briarface. It was this was this, you know, and and it's and that has all changed. As indeed I think is is true of of, of, of Brian. But uh, there's a different uh, different conversation. But I think SA rugby definitely deserves credit for emphasizing. Quite subtly, it seems to me. I mean, I haven't really followed very closely, but emphasizing that merit really is something that's worth applying if you want to win the games and really do something for your country. And it doesn't mean that it's whites only. That's one thing. And but it doesn't mean that you choose teams on the on the basis of what people look like. It's how they play. And I think that's done an enormous um, amount of good to, to South Africans in every community to recognize here's a team who's, that's been chosen for what they can actually do. Um, and as a result, as you said, Nicholas, people right across the spectrum of society are perfectly happy to support an Etzebeth, support a Mbonambi, support Khaleesi, 
uh, whoever is doing the good job on the field, and that really is what what counts. And so, if only we could have that in our politics, um, as we I think already do in our private sector. Terence's point in in his piece today, um, we we would be to use a cliche, a winning nation. Exactly right. You know, there's this very strange idea. On the events, on. Yeah. <laughs> there's this very strange idea of representativity that is kind mm. of very, very in vogue right now that you know you can only be represented or you can only identify with people who are you know share some sort of characteristic with you they have to be their their, their religion or their race or their or their uh, language or, or their gender or whatever but what our team shows is just as you said people are very willing to celebrate excellence regardless yeah. of whether they share the same skin color, the same yeah. language, whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's something worth keeping in mind, particularly South Africans. I would just like to um, draw attention to a comment here from reader, from a follower. I say always holy blink cunt were. <laughs> I say, yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, if, if I may... I may just in conclusion say that I, I, I believe it was around 2000, and I'm pretty sure it was Tarbo and Beck, he said something to the effect of it's worth losing a few rugby games for the for, for the cause of transformation. I think that's uh, rugby or cricket, I'm not sure, but the point is that uh, you lose enough of those games and no one's interested in watching them anymore. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Secondly, these days, winning those games is about all we got. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly right. Yeah. And yeah. if you would like some evidence for that, I point to Bufana Bufana, our soccer team, which continues to just be kind of depressing. <laughs> so let's move on to our next topic. Uh, and this is, you know, we've talked about this so many times on the show now. The ANC and EFF have been complaining that, uh, particularly the ANC has been complaining that their relationship with the EFF just isn't working in places where they're co in coalition with them. But we've seen precious little concrete action that actually seems to be moving the party towards anything like a breakup of that coalition. Well, um, it seems as though the ANC is beginning to worry that its association with the EFF is damaging it. According to reporting by the Sunday Times, the National Executive Committee, which is the sort of leading body of the ANC, um, said that it its marriage with the EFF was damaging its image and that it should they should begin plotting the way forward to dissolve it. Uh, according to those who attended the meeting, a report by David Makura recommended that the ANC consider ending its relationship with the EFF in Joburg, Ekuruleni, Mukhaila City, um, and that the reasons for this was that the EFF was, quote-unquote, fishing from the same pond as the ANC, and the main objective was, quote, to unseat the ruling party. Uh, they also said that they should pull out of any coalition with the Patriotic Alliance, and the reasons they gave for that was that the Patriotic Alliance is, in their words, run by former criminals, and also because it has taken such a strong stance, in their words, against the Palestinian people. Um, they went on to say about the EFF that has developed a long-term agenda and ambition to destroy, displace, and replace the ANC as leader of the transformation project. It is for this reason that it will work with any reactionary force globally and domestically to remove the ANC from power. But if this coalition collapses, it's not entirely clear what will happen in these municipalities because while the ANC has been telling everyone that they're willing to talk to the DA, um, it appears, and this is according to both DA and ANC people, that no talks have been considered and that the DA in particular thinks that this would be a disaster for the party to be seen as cozying up to the ANC. 
Um, and uh, in fact, the, the DA put out a statement in response to that Adrian Basson piece from last week, just denying that they're in sort of any talks with the ANC, saying there's no way that South Africa can survive the corruption and poor governance that characterizes the ANC in the pursuit of its so-called national democratic revolution. Um, so even if the ANC-EFF coalition falls apart, it's not clear that the DA will be willing to work with either the ANC or the EFF. And so I'm not sure who's going to run these municipalities. Um, <laughs> It, maybe it'll just be an ANC government with almost no sort of backing and just paralyzed in the council. Difficult to say. Um, Terence, what do you make of all this? Do you think that this is a serious uh, uh, claim that the ANC really are going to dissolve their coalition with the EFF? Well, it's tough to say. I think that uh, there's a certain intoxication of incumbency, and I don't think you want to give that up. And as you say, what comes next? Um, do you are you handing it back to to to, to the DA or are you uh, accepting a sort of more or less permanent instability? All of which I think the ANC is probably well, please politically savvy enough to you know to 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 recognise those those come with huge risks. Uh, I think that I think that the um, the DA you know already you know, took 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 some heat you know for the uh, uh, for the collapse. This close to this close to an actual election for the for, for the ANC to um, uh, to brave that would be um, uh, would be tough, but I think uh, re reading that uh, reading believe between the lines as it were of that statement, I think this is the, this is a party that just doesn't uh, just hasn't adapted to the realities of competitive plural. Um, uh, uh, plural politics, and in a way, those those parties that were in perpetual opposition for the last thirty years uh, have a lot of experience of this. Um, uh, if 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 not the e, the the EFF, then what? Um, if you can reject the PA because of uh, uh, because of a, of, of a foreign of, of a foreign policy difference, well, that's fairly esoteric, at least from the point of view of um, uh, of local government. Then what? Um, and uh, you know, I'm 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 left just saying, you know, sarcastically, yuckle, stuckle. They worry that someone wants to displace them. You know, have you have you sort of like did you did you miss did you miss democracy in elections one hundred and one? That uh, you know you you know we don't we don't pre-select the winners and then just sort of uh, uh, you know send send the choice for, you know to the uh, uh, to the voters to be ratified but I you know I do remember Smutson Gunyama saying I think this was about 2008 or so uh, no you know this this election is really just about us renewing our mandate with the electorate and I, don't, I don't I don't think that that uh, that that mindset has really uh, has really moved on strange days ahead strange days behind us mm. Our, our politics are indeed changing um, in interesting ways. And I, I, I think I agree with you, Terence. The ANC doesn't really seem to kind of know what to do with this world where it doesn't hold all the cards. Um, Michael, what do you make of all this? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I certainly certainly um, agree with Terence there. That, uh, <laughs> it, is, it is a reflection of the, the false certainties that... Um, the ruling party has become accustomed to over what's now almost 30 years. Um, so in that sense, perhaps a, a good sign, you know, that a good sign for people in South Africa that um, the, the, the politics really is pretty fluid. Uh, you have, you know, a party that was so accustomed to having 
complete uh, dominance over the political sphere, now having to, you know, really quite carefully consider the risks of going with somebody else, uh, this one or that one, or, uh, you know, how do we respond to the to the threat of actually losing power? This is a very good sign. Um, and I think it's a, what's the sign of is, again, something that I think we, we, we've been tracking in, in, in a sense, we're tracking people's, uh, very ordinary people's day-to-day uh, -day sentiments about the, the kind of country we live in. They don't want race policy. They don't want land reform. They don't want BE. They want jobs. They want good services. They want teachers who can teach. They don't care what color they are. This is what matters. Um, and the ANC has been been seeing all this material produced over 10 years now. Um, they've clearly just decided that these are, you know, reactionary right-wingers who are saying this sort of nonsense. Um, and they've just pressed ahead with, you know, EWC legislation, better legislation. Um, you know, wherever you look, there's some new law which is cutting right across all these fundamental things that South Africans want. Um, and this is a, a hopeful sign, I think, that, you know, the, the message is getting through. History is catching up with the party that's squandered that mandate that um, Terence referred to. Yeah. I think referring also to our first story, it is interesting that despite the fact that the EFF probably will grow at least a little bit in this election, um, that association with it is very likely being seen as not great for anyone's image. Mm. Um, any final thoughts on this, Terence? No, you know, I think um, uh, I think the fu the future is here. Get used to it. You know, adapt or die as a form of uh, yeah. one said, uh, and probably die by by you know uh, the evidence of his own party. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, uh. Um, okay, let us move on to our last story for today. Um, one we've also covered a, a, a lot, but uh, worth just bringing up again, and that is that um, over the weekend, Finance Minister Enoch Gonogwana said that uh, the country could run out of money by March next year. Now, I think he was speaking in perhaps inexact terms, um, but he was speaking at the Katlema Portlante uh, Foundation's annual forum in the Drakensberg on Friday, and he said that government expenditure was skyrocketing and revenue was decreasing. Um, and the specific reason that uh, the Treasury is freaking out so much is that there was a 52 billion rand tax shortfall. Uh, we got 52 billion rand less than the government expected to take in, uh, meaning that our, our, our budget deficit was only supposed to be 4% of GDP, but it's actually going to be 5.1%, which is pretty bad. Um, and he basically went on to say that, you know, the government is facing the serious crisis um, just before an election where it's not going to have the resources that it wants. And if it borrows more, it's only going to increase the amount of debt that the country is already dealing with, um, which is, I believe, now the biggest line item on our national budget is uh, debt servicing costs. So uh, borrowing any more is only going to make that worse. Um, Michael, any, any thoughts on this? Hmm. I, I think, as I've said before on the show, um, I'm, I'm always reluctant to say anything at all about the economics because the only thing I know about it is that money grows on trees. But um, but it, but I think it, what you can see here is uh, you know, the most senior economic figure in government sending a very sharp warning. You know that we are not in a good space. Um, there's no sign here at all of the bravado that we might have had. Uh, 10 years ago, 
um, that, you know, doomsayers say that we're failing, uh, we're pressing ahead, you know, we've got resources, we've got whatever it is people claimed back then. I think there's this, you know, this uh, leaden sense of reality is, 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 is weighing very heavily on the finance minister's shoulders. Um, of course, we absolutely know, uh, as most sensible South Africans do, that you know, rampant spending and the debt crisis is really a recipe for uh, for disaster for a lot of people, for everybody, and perhaps especially for the poor, on whom one doesn't need to make the point to to finally. Um, the ANCs uh, will claim that its its electoral fortunes depend because it says that these are the people it really speaks to or speaks for. Um, and you know we know that isn't true, but I think uh, it's it's very clear from uh, the remarks of the finance minister that this is exactly where um, where the crisis lies. Uh, to my enormous delight, uh, my power just came back after load shedding and then tripped again for some unknown reason. <laughs> so that's always fun. Uh, Terence. Mm. Um, Final thoughts on this before we, we close up for today. Well, let me just um, uh, misappropriate the words of uh, the original Top Gun. The policies are writing checks that your fiscus can't cash. And then the forest comes, that's all I can say about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. Um, yeah. You know, we should have just said that. But <laughs> that sums it all up very nicely. Uh, okay, well, very briefly. Um, I, there's a story I've been following in South African media, which is kind of wild. Uh, there's this guy on TikTok uh, who calls himself Dr. Lani Matthews. Um, he claims to both be, I think, a doctor and I think also HIV positive. Uh, he has this whole dramatic backstory about how he was given HIV by an ex-partner and all sorts of things like that. Anyway, um, it's since emerged that this person is not a doctor, um, and doesn't even seem to necessarily have a matric, or at least no one knows who they are because they don't use their real name. Anyway, he's uh, he's he's just been arrested, um, apparently in Helen Joseph Hospital, after recording himself walking around the hospital dressed as a doctor. The security guards jumped on him, and he is uh, being accused of stealing a medical student's identity, uh, as well as uh, pretending to, uh, to sort of engaging in. in medical malpractice or something like that. It's not entirely clear what the charges are this person's facing at this time, but um, kind of a weird story. And the funniest part of this is that after the security apprehended this guy, he requested to go to the bathroom, only to jump out the window and try and escape again before he was caught again by the security. Uh, um, Michael, any thoughts? <laughs> I, we, we were chatting a bit about this before the show. I mean, it's just so astonishing in the age of the internet. And, and interconnectivity on a scale that, you know, it's kind of intrusive scale just about that we live with today, that people even dream of pretending not to be who they really are and, and you know, assuming identities and trying to get away with it. Isn't it just astonishing? Um, it's just not an environment in which you want to, you want to try to pull off a, a lie as big as this one appears <laughs> to be. Any thoughts? <laughs> Isn't there something about lunatics running asylums? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, the, the next thing, this guy gets hold of a scalpel and goes and performs exactly. like, the brain surgery. 
social media and uh, can be a wild place it seems but anyway that's all the time mm. we have for today so thank you very much for watching mm. and i hope that you have a wonderful day. cheers everyone mm.